0: Sorry about the little glitch um, there. I don't know if you saw the last words over there. It's very faint. It says, think different. And that was basically a commercial that Apple computers used in 1997 to launch their comeback. And it talks about people who change the world because they think different. These are not just ordinary people, but extraordinary people. And you might have recognized a few of them in Muhammad Ali, or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., or Albert Einstein, Amelia Earhart, and so on. Of course, the objective is to get you to buy more Apple products. That's the underlying goal. But there's an underlying message over there which says that if you have the courage to think differently uh, from the rest of the world then you can actually change the world. It's quite a powerful and inspiring message and I remember seeing that the first time and saying, wow man, I've got to think differently. But today when I look at that message and I look at that commercial, I I think differently about it. Because um, of our text for today, which by the way also encourages us to think differently. So if you wouldn't mind turning to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read from verses 17 to 24. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, and I'll be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible, but you can follow on whatever version you have. So if you are there already, please uh, read in with me um, or just read in your Bibles with me. And we are reading the word of God, so please pay careful attention with reverence. So this I say, verse 17, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because the heart because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Indeed, if you have heard him and have been taught of him, just as the truth is in Jesus, verse twenty-four. That in ref, verse twenty-two, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. May God add his blessing to his word. Our text says, as you can see, our text says, think different, but in a very different way to what the commercial was telling us. While Apple celebrates the human mind, Paul condemns it. While Apple puts certain people and certain minds on a pedestal, um, Paul classifies all minds as degenerate. The difference is because Paul is looking with God's eyes and Apple is looking with human eyes and that's why both want us to think different but both suggest very, very different ways. And as I continue my series uh, called What Christians Pursue, I'd like us today to consider the pursuit of renewing of the mind. Because only when we renew our minds, as the text says, can we actually really begin to think different. Just to give you some context, Paul is writing from a prison cell to the believers and and around uh, the city of Ephesus, the great city of Ephesus. What is Paul's subject of discussion? Well, the keywords give us a few hints. Futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding. Ignorance is in them, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Clearly, he's talking about the mind. More specifically, he's drawing a contrast between two different types of minds. And I will use this contrast as an outline. I don't have many points except two. So to begin with, we look at the damaged mind, which is verse 17 to 19, and then we look at the renewed mind, which is verse 20 to 24. The way I'd like to present each section is just look at the logical flow of Paul's argument, how he goes from one uh, idea to the next, and then we look at each word within that argument because... Whilst they may seem very simple and easy to understand in our Bibles, they actually contain a lot of meaning that perhaps the nuances of are missed in our translations. And we need to know what he's saying so that we can be clear how it applies to us today, how this text written about 2,000 years ago applies today to our lives. So number one, the damaged mind, verses 17 to 19. Let's consider the flow of the writing. Paul gives a command... So this I say that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. How do the Gentiles walk, Paul? In the futility of their mind. Why do they walk this way, Paul? They walk this way because they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Now what happens because of this way of walking, Paul? And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness." So we see a command against a specific type of behaviour. Paul then gives us a description of that behaviour. He then shows us the reason for that behaviour, and lastly he moves to the outcome. Of that behavior. So it's not just a command, it's a command that contains an inbuilt warning. And Paul is saying, Hey, you know, I'm telling you this because if you look far down the track, it's a slippery slope, and if you keep going down that track, you'll end up in a downward spiral. There is a point of no return that you can't see, and if you cross that, you're not coming back. So this I say and affirm together. With the Lord. Now, some of you may have in your versions and testify in the Lord, and that's a that's a good translation because the actual word there is a word dealing with witness. To call upon someone as a witness, to summon summon someone as a witness, and and basically Paul is saying that he's telling you this and summoning God as a witness and saying I'm telling this to you in the presence of God. God is going to affirm and accept and agree with what I'm saying. And so I want you to listen as if God is present. And so any disagreement with Paul, as per the text, is, would be very serious. Because you are disagreeing with God in His presence. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. What am I saying? That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Who are the Gentiles? Well, the Bible gives us two, um, a few um, meanings of the word Gentile. It's referred, first of all, to non-Jews, people who were not from Israel. So, for example, Matthew 10, 5, and 6, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter in, uh, any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the city of the Gentiles, go to the lost sheep of Israel. So there's a contrast there where Gentiles are not Israel. So it's an ethnic term. It's anyone who is non-Israelite. It's nothing. It's a pretty simple term. It's not giving you any moral judgment. It's just saying they are not Israelites. Uh, sometimes it's translated as nations. Uh, for example, and you all know this verse: Go therefore and make disciples of all the ethnic. That's the word, of all the nations. So that's another use of the word Gentile. But the way that, uh, that, it's, that it's used here is, for example, people who do not know God. Uh, example is 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 and 5, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So in, 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 in another sense, uh, in a non-ethnic sense, Paul is saying that Gentiles are people who do not know God. So it has an ethnic sense, it has a spiritual sense, and the sense that we read in our text today is a spiritual sense. It refers to people who do not know God. So Paul is saying, don't walk like people who don't know God. Don't conduct your lifestyle, don't conduct your manner of living as people who do not know God. Now what does this conduct look like? Walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. Now this word futility, um, uh, of, let's go look at the word mind first. It's a, it's a, it's a word that you'll probably be familiar with, uh, Nouse. It refers to um, common sense or intelligence or just sense, regular sense. He's got nouse. Use your nous. And uh, that's pretty much the, the meaning in the original language as well, which is the faculties of understanding. Just the ability to process information and understand. But obviously it's not referring to the brain, the little walnut squiggly shaped organ in our heads. It's referring to uh, an ability of the brain. The term futility means emptiness, devoid of meaning, without purpose, useless, unprofitable. We've heard Steve talk to us about that word in Ecclesiastes which starts off with vanity of vanities. Futility of utilities, everything is vanity. Jeff told us a, a, a new acronym, TWAT, total waste of time. And that's the sense that is trying to be conveyed in the futility of the mind, because um, when you walk in a manner that is not with God, everything under the sun is meaningless. Solomon, the man who, who had everything, the, the, all the wisdom in the world, all the riches in the world, all the women, all the pleasures, everything, he at the end of his life concludes all is vanity under the sun. It doesn't make sense. It's a continual chasing after the wind. It does not produce anything profitable. And if you read our poets and our philosophers this today, they are haunted by Meaninglessness everyone is just Get up in the morning go to work come back have a meal get up and it's just endless cycle repetition. What does it mean? What is the gain? I don't know I'm just doing what I do Anyway, that's how the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind Why do they walk this way? They walk this way because they are darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. That sounds really ugly. This is where things start to go pear-shaped. It's not a pretty picture. Darkened understanding, excluded from life, ignorance, hardness. It's not a pretty picture. Let's be very clear. This is the state of mind of the person who does not know God. It is the state of mind of an unbeliever. It is the state of your mind and my mind before we were saved. That is us. And for anyone who is not saved, that is the state of their mind right now. That's pretty harsh. It's not something that you would wish on your worst enemy, really. But Let's look at these phrases one by one darkened in their understanding. Now, understanding, again, has a similar root word to that word of mind and house. And again, it's, it's uh, just talking about the ability to think over and reflect and ponder. Uh, in the, and it's about thinking about moral things. Thinking about spiritual things. And and this faculty is is darkened. It's as if a complete blackness has descended on the Thinking abilities of the unsaved, which prevents them from reasoning soundly. They are unable to think correctly in terms of moral matters. And what's more, they are excluded from the life of God. Excluded has the sense of being alienated, of being separated from, of being a stranger to, of being left outside in the dark. Outside of what? Outside the life of God. It's not the the life that you and I have in terms of physical life. But it's the life that Jordan was talking about just now. The eternal life of God. It's the source of all life. It is the wellspring of all life. It is the, is the, the, the origin from everything else emerges. They're excluded from the life of God... And that means it is, you, are, you are left out, you are cut off from that source. You have been separated from that source. You are like a spiritual zombie who is walking about lifeless and dead, but you don't know it. They are strangers to joy and bliss because they have been left out in the dark. Why is that? Two reasons. Because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their heart. Again, ignorance doesn't simply mean a lack of knowledge here. It's not simply, I don't know. Ignorance carries the meaning that you don't know, and it's your responsibility that you don't know. You are actually culpable for being ignorant, because the ignorance is in them. The root and the source of that ignorance is not outside, it's in them. They are the cause of that ignorance. And because they are the cause of that ignorance, darkness has clouded their reasoning and their judgment from an external source. And that's because of the ignorance in the internal source. And what is that source? Hardness of heart. And that word again, hardness, has very interesting meaning. It it talks about covering something over with a layer of skin. Just keep covering it over, covering it over, till the point that it stops feeling anything. It's not talking about obviously the physical heart, but it's talking about... The seat of your personality, the centre of your being, everything that drives your affections and your desires and your motivations, and that heart is being covered over, being covered over with layer upon layer of skin till it stops feeling anymore. It's like a callus. We've all had calluses of I don't know, a corn maybe. And our modern day society associates the heart with feelings and emotions and romance. But in Paul's day, society looked at the heart as the as center of thinking and wisdom and understanding. And so when the heart is, is hardened, you have a, a heart that is incapable and unable to feel sensation to spiritual and moral issues. And what's more, this hardening is self-inflicted. So look at the sequence over here. A gradual hardening leads to a loss of feeling. A loss of feeling leads to an increased stubbornness. Increased stubbornness leads to an external darkness clouding and that eclipses your judgment and powers of reasoning. And when everything is dark, there is no meaning. You walk about without purpose. That's a very different picture to the one Apple painted, isn't it? But that's not all. You haven't even heard half of it. Because they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Having become callous, having lost all moral sensation that would ordinarily cause shame... And embarrassment and grief. They've ceased to feel any twinge of pain in their conscience because they have lost all spiritual sensitivity and discernment and the ability to feel. Why is that? What happens next? They give themselves over to sensuality. Asalgeya is the word. It refers to uninhibited sexual indulgence, without shame and without concern for what others think or how it might affect others even. One commentary says it refers to the kind of sexual debauchery and abandonment that characterizes much of modern society and that is often flaunted as a badge of distinction Another writer, William Barclay, writes that Asalgea, quote, and you've got to listen to this, does not solely mean sexual uncleanness, it is sheer wanton insolence. And he quotes another writer, Basil, he says, It is that attitude of the soul which has never borne and never will bear the pain of discipline. Utter rebellion. Care of who? Carry on. It is the insolence that knows no restraint, that has no sense of the decencies of things, that will dare anything that wanton caprice demands, that is careless of public opinion and its own good name so long as it gets what it wants. It has been defined as readiness for any pleasure. Unquote. Why have they given themselves over to this sensuality? for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. It's, it's almost literally for the work, for the business. It is that, that word for the practice is, is, a, is a commercial term, it's a business term. They've given themselves over to conduct it almost as an industry. They've made a business out of impurity. It's it's referring to the entire spectrum of moral filth that you can understand, and they just want to plunge headlong into it. They don't want to just have a bit of a dabble. It's they want they, they consume it with greediness. Consume what? Every kind of impurity. Now that word impurity uh, has sometimes it's used in a medical sense. And it's used this is going to gross you out but i'm sorry it's used to describe an infected wound that is oozing with pus and the sort of crusty stuff around it not a nice picture so think about this you know how in summer uh, if you've ever been in a pool in the summer you know it's hot and it's scorching and the water's cool and children love to jump in dive bomb into the pool take a few steps back Geronimo Bang Now just imagine that instead of this beautiful, cool pool yes, I know, Jordan, we're going to jump into pus. Can you imagine that? There is a joy in these people that makes them want to plunge headlong into this impure. You and I are feeling really, really gagging at this moment. but isn't that what we see around us today in society? We see a society that has made wanton sexual gratification an industry that is profitable and taxable. We've seen people flaunt their lifestyles of debauchery. Politicians want us to promote sexuality in the name of love, of homosexuality in the name of love and equality. They want to decriminalize prostitution, they want to legalize marijuana. People want the freedom to change their gender. One of them was recently awarded the Arthur Ashe Ashe Award for Courage by ESPN. People want to murder unborn children in the name of personal choice and empowerment. I don't know if you saw the news recently. uh, The medical uh, director or some really high up person in Planned Parenthood in in the U.S., was videotaped, secretly, obviously, about how Planned Parenthood actually sells the organs of aborted fetuses. It's a conversation that would make your stomach churn, but she's just having lunch and talking about it. It's normal. How did we... That's the kind of impurity we're talking about. That's the kind of greediness Paul is talking about. It's a business It's legal. And people just can't get enough of it. How did we come to this point? How did things change so... When did they change? How have things changed so radically from when we were younger, when we grew up? How is this a different world? This is what happens when over time, society rejects God. Because to reject God is to reject the very source of goodness and when you reject goodness you don't have any standard for good you you don't become better you become worse and you slide slowly but gradually into evil and more evil because that's what evil is it's an absence of good you've rejected the good so there's nothing else for you to go to except evil to reject God is to reject the source of reason and meaning And so if you've you've abandoned the, the foundation of meaning, how can you hope to get meaning? This is why the unsaved live the way they live, and they love the things they love, and they think the way they think. And what's more, this was the state of our minds before God saved us. Never forget that. The gospel is not about... God taking uh, you know, some people who have some bad habits but are mostly alright and then he scrubs them up and makes them nice and shiny on the outside. No, it's not about that. It's about God taking people and when we say people, it's, just, it's, it's not just some people, it's everyone who is rotten to the core. He replaces their damaged and degenerate minds with a completely new one. And that's where we come to our second section. The Renewed Mind. It's pretty graphic back there. Hopefully this is much better. It's a breath of fresh air. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. The unbelievers are the way they are because of the way they are thinking. But you did not learn Christ in that way. All that is true. All that is happening. But you it's not true for you. Very s- uh, sudden sharp contrast. Stop. Hang on. This is not you. This does not describe you. There is nothing common. And also note that the contrast is not between um, the way the world thinks and Christians. The the, the contrast is not between uh, uh, world philosophy and Christian philosophy. The contrast is between the world and Christ. It's between a system of thinking and a person. It's a contrast between the world and the savior of the world. And in that contrast, you therefore find a need for a savior. Why is that important? Because you need to ask yourself, am I following a philosophy? Or am I following a person? Because... People are real, philosophies aren't. People can love, philosophies can't. People can forgive, philosophies don't. You can have a relationship with a person, you cannot have a relationship with a philosophy. It's like trying to have a relationship with the law of gravity. It doesn't mean anything. It wasn't a philosophy that was nailed to the cross. It wasn't an ideology that rose from the grave. It was a man. Do you love him? Are you so possessed and devoted to him? Is your life meaningless without him? Next, don't think like the Gentiles because that is not how you learned Christ. It's a matter of your mind, it's a matter of instruction, it's a matter of receiving um, instruction, information, and which, upon which you act positively. You receive the instruction as if it was true and then you act on it. That is learning. It's not merely listening. It's not merely one way. You hear and you act. How do I know if the instruction that I received was true? If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him Just as truth is in Jesus. That's how you know it's true. If it was Christ who was the subject and sum of the preaching that you received, Paul is saying, and I take it that He was the sum and subject, and if this preaching was in fellowship with Christ, and I take it that it was, then this preaching, this instruction, this mindset which you have learned, should stand in sharp contrast to the instruction and the preaching and the teaching and the mindset of the world around you. If you have been taught Christ, and I know that you have, then live according to that teaching. Well, what is the teaching for? Verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Why should I lay it aside? Because it is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. So what should I do instead? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. And why should I put on the new self? Because it is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That is the teaching. The teaching is that there is a sharp contrast between your past and your present A contrast as sharp as chalk as different from from cheese. So someone tells you that you can come to Jesus and you can not be changed and you can live the way you always lived. Then that is not the way you learn Christ. The teaching is that your old self, or some of you may have the old man, literally, that's what it says. The old self is created, literally, according to what God is. It is in the likeness of God. The new man is created in the likeness of God. Can you fathom that? The teaching is that your old self or your old man was being corrupted by its own passions, by your indulgence in temptations that falsely promised satisfaction and fulfillment and joy, the lust of deceit. So if someone tells you that you weren't really all that bad in your past life, maybe just a wee bit naughty, that is not the way you learn Christ. Like I said, the teaching is that the new self is created literally According to the image of God, it's created, meaning it did not exist before. It wasn't there. When I create something, when I make something, it's not there. When the ladies meet here on Tuesdays to make cards, those cards weren't there, they create them. It's new. John MacArthur says, this new man, he is not perfected, perfected or glorified, but he is already spiritually alive, and holiness is at work within him. End quote. He's new. He's not perfect, but he's new, and he is alive, and holiness is being perfected in him. It's an ongoing process. So let's understand this. It's not merely a, 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 a new spark in a dying fire. It's a completely new flame. It's not a new lick of paint on our old walls. It's new walls. It's not a new engine in a rust bucket of a car. It's a new car. It's no longer a hell magnet, but a heaven magnet. If you are saved, you are ready for heaven now. If you die, now you are in heaven. You are ready for that. But, if not, big question. That's what it means to be a new man. To be a new creature. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. What, is, what does Paul mean by that? What do you mean by all things have passed away? Well, that's a great question and I, and I just ask you to keep your finger in Ephesians 4 and just move with me to Romans 6, please. We just need to be here for a few moments in Romans 6 for that very famous chapter where Paul makes the case for holy living. Romans chapter 6, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me. And let's start in verse 1. What shall we say there? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When did we die, Paul? When did we die to sin? Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, our old man, was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Let me try and. Uh, I have a few props here. Let's <clears throat> keep this in my pocket. Imagine this is Peter Rufus in his unsaved state. Can't really tell, maybe longer ahead that time. This is me before I was saved. Right? Now there are two aspects to me. There's my body, which you can see. And then, there's the old man, foaming at the mouth, Tazzy Devil. The totality of my body, the totality of my being, this body plus old man In me is corrupt. There is nothing good in that. Because the totality of who I am is linked to Adam. And because Adam fell, I fell. And because I am a fallen creature, I have the identity of a fallen creature, sin is able to have a field day with me, with my mind, with the old man, who controls my body. We've already seen how the mind of the unbeliever is darkened and his heart heart is, is hardened, so therefore, if I, Peter Rufus, am in my unsaved state... Then I'm only too happy to comply with the wishes of sin. All sin has to do is flick its fingers and I'm there. Yep. Let's do this. Readiness for pleasure. So, sin is able to influence my mind and then my mind just acts through my body, through my members my eyes, my ears, my hands my feet, you get a picture now I'm not saying I'm not trying to teach the the Gnostic idea that matter is sinful Jeff was teaching us about that in Corinthians I'm not saying that but all I'm saying is is in an unsaved state when the old man is alive and kicking then the old man is able to use this body For sin. The mind energizes the body for sin. The body is an instrument which sin can use for whatever it wants. But then something interesting happened. Jesus died for me. And Paul says, God crucified the old man. With Christ. What does that mean? The old man is dead. The old man does not exist anymore. Why is that? How come? Verse 7. For he who has died is freed from sin. The old man, Tazi Devil, was in the clutches of sin. But the old man now, bang, 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 nailed to the cross. The old man is what energizes my body. Old man is on the cross. Sin can no longer energize my body. Old man is dead. The instrument that sin had in its power It no longer has. And therefore sin no longer has power over me. This is what brings us freedom. This is why we sing. This is why we sing of the love. Oh the love of my Redeemer. Never failing come what may. He has purchased my forgiveness. And has washed my sins away. The old man is gone. And so... The link to Adam is gone. I'm no longer, my identity is no longer linked to Adam. I am in Christ. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creature. And so, he's a new creature. Cuddly called. Now again, I'm not being heretical. I'm not saying God is in the image of a cuddly quad. I'm not saying that. This is just for the to illustrate the point that old man, dead, new man, alive. They don't exist together. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. So now when sin attacks us and says, hey, how about this? He say, no, 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 hang on. I am a new creature. I don't have to listen to you anymore because this is not designed to be a slave to you. I have a new master. I am a slave to Christ. But before we get too carried away, move down to verse 11. Even so. This is in Romans 6, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall no longer be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. But hang on a second, Paul. You just told me that I'm freed from sin and um, I no longer have to dance to his tunes anymore. So, um, and the old man was crucified. So now how come you're saying, do not let sin reign in your body? I mean, if I'm freed from sin, then how can sin reign in me? Oh, it doesn't make sense. Actually, it does. Because you live in a fallen world. Sin is all around you. You are free from the power of sin. It's no longer your master. But you are not free from the presence of sin because sin is everywhere all around us. The new man, Tharli Kuala, is still housed in this broken body. Redeemed man, unredeemed body. That's the problem. Sin can still use our bodies. Sin is still alive and kicking. The old man was nailed to the cross. Sin wasn't. Sin is still there. Sin was given a death blow, but sin is is still there. Sin can still use the old man, but only, sin can still use a new man, but only if we let it go. The new man can still fall if he chooses to disobey. Like we said, he is not perfect. He is a work in progress. You cannot escape sin, but you can resist it. What does Peter say? Flee useful lasses. One day in glory we will be free even from the presence of sin. And boy... Isn't that going to be... It? I can't even... I can't understand that. I can't understand a world in which there is no sin. I can't comprehend that. But it's going to happen. But till that day, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't prostitute yourself to sin anymore. Because you are not a slave. You are not beholden to sin anymore. It does not own you anymore. Don't yield your body to temptation. Instead, instead, behave in a manner that is aligned to your new identity. Let's come back to our text 4.22 in Ephesians as Paul says Lay aside the old self be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Oh, but hang on Paul, Oh, this is a bit confusing. Why should we lay aside the old self if the old self has already been crucified? I don't get it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a really simple illustration. He says when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves they were officially free officially government declaration you are free but they continued to live as slaves because of old habit old habits die hard so they were not living their lives in alignment with the proclamation of the president and that's with us though god has declared the old man to be dead we still live in a manner as if the old man was alive. And so, Paul is saying, live in a manner that is consistent with that declaration that your old man is dead. And so therefore, you need to continuously lay aside. It's got a feeling of taking off a garment. Jeff took us through this a while ago in Colossians. Put off the old garments. If you've been training in the gym, put off the old garments and wear the new one. Wear the new person. You're a new person. Realize that. What God has declared to be true, you now live out as true. Next, be renewed. It's passive. It has the idea of someone else is renewing you. You can't renew yourself. Be renewed. Put on. That's active. That's something that you do yourself. But you do it by being empowered with God's spirit. And that that, uh, that term of renewing Uh, it's not about you get a new mind it's not that suddenly you become sharper or you become the sharpest tool in the shed all of a sudden it's it's not that your memories and, and your ability to reason becomes better but it's that your mind is submitted to the Holy Spirit who is working in you and he then does the renewing and makes you able to fellowship more with the God who who created you. One commentary says, this renewal points to a complete about-face in their thinking, a change from mental impurity to holiness. The spirit of God influences the thought processes of believers so they begin more and more to reason from God's viewpoint. What a contrast. What a contrast. From the mind that was degenerate and darkened and given to lascivious and licentious behavior to a mind that thinks the thoughts of God. Can that be a human thing? No way. It cannot be human. God has to act. God has to bring that out. From a mind that wants nothing to do with the true God to a mind that says... How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. Psalm 119. To be Christian is to think differently, for sure. But unlike the Apple commercial, it's not about thinking differently from other people. It's about thinking the thoughts of God. And by thinking the thoughts of God, you automatically think different from other people. We are a new man. We have a new mind to match. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. That you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ that way. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of, dece- of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Shall we pray? great god and gracious father we thank you for this picture for this mirror that you have placed in your word where we can actually look not just at our present state but at who we were in the past and father when we when we see this we are confronted by the measure of our sinfulness because if we did not have this mirror We wouldn't really think of us too badly. But Lord, when your word speaks to us, it shows us really how far gone we were and how great, therefore, your love and your mercy and your grace is because you stopped the slide, you brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us. Father, we just pray that you would help our minds to comprehend this truth. Father, to understand that the old man has been crucified and the new man has been installed and therefore we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to Christ. And so we just pray that you would help us to lay aside the old man every day in our minds so that sin would not be able to use our body for its own devices but so that we may yield the members of our body to righteousness as unto God. And we want to do this because you have saved us. You have shown us where we have come from. We do not want to return there but we want to press on to the goal to which you have called us heavenward in Christ. And we pray that you would not stop this work within us to renew our minds as only you can so that we can continue to put on the new man and to give you glory and to be salt and light. Now we ask this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.